Hey church, Carmen and I want to give a special shout out to everyone watching online. Thank you for being a part of our extended family or just staying connected when you can't be with us here on Sunday. We want to invite you to be a Waymaker. This is the season when we really take time to appreciate what God has done for us and we begin to anticipate what God is getting ready to do. You can be a Waymaker by joining us as we appreciate and anticipate as well as in giving at City Church. You can invest financially to be a part of making the way for the gospel to be shared through teaching, through global missions, helping the people of Kenya, Mexico, and India and beyond. Also being a Waymaker with local missions through our outreach center, City Church Red, where we feed more than 100 families a month, help families with critical bills and needs, and love on the people of Savannah as the family of Christ. Giving is simple. Visit citychurch.life forward slash give and make an investment at City Church. We know you can give your money anywhere. And when you choose to do it here, we don't take it for granted. As always, be blessed. And we pray today's message will encourage you in your walk. We've been going through a, a series, uh, Waymaker, and uh, we've been talking about legacy. It's something we talk about here at Seed Church a lot. And the first week, uh, Pastor Jim brought the word and he talked about legacy of authenticity. Uh, and in his message, just to remind me of a few things that he said, uh, he talked about Jesus setting up a divine, uh, a divine setup. Uh, he met a woman at a well, and, uh, a Samaritan woman. You read about it in John chapter 4. And he really set her up. There was something she was thirsty for, and she didn't even know she was thirsty for it. There was something she needed, and she needed to be willing to receive it. So he set her up with a divine setup and then presented what she really needed in life so that she'd be ready to receive it. And the other thing I love that he pointed out, and I love the way he put it, he pointed out that Jesus was not set up with death. He wasn't defeated in death, but that too was a setup. Even then, it was a setup because Jesus trapped death. I love the words he used. Jesus trapped death, and he defeated death. And the scripture backup for that is 1 Corinthians 2 and 8. So none of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So the whole thing was a setup, and it was a successful setup. And then he pointed out the fact that when God created mankind, he held back very little, but he shared freely everything except for the thing that belonged to him. The thing that he said was his was the one thing that we were supposed to respect as his. And the question we were presented with is, do we respect the things that are God's? And then he transitioned from that and he went into talking about giving. He talked about the tithe. Look, the tithe is God's. And I'm not going to talk about this and I'm not going to spend time on this. And I don't think Pastor Jim talked about a percentage or an amount or anything like that. But God, throughout his word, talks about the tithe and he says it's his. And the question is, do we trust him? Do we look at him and say, God, what you said is yours, I'm going to respect as yours. And then last week we talked about the legacy of appreciation. And we went into 1 Thessalonians and in Paul's letter to a church that he was with for a very short time, he gave us some divine decree. He talked about the fact that we are supposed to give thanks. We're supposed to not only give thanks, but we're supposed to give thanks in everything and God's will is that we do give him thanks and that we do give him thanks in all situations and it's just like the commandment to give it's not that God needs it from us and he doesn't need our thanks to complete him it's something he allows us to be a part of and he lets us in on it and really it just comes down to this 
Each one of us has to decide, one, if we're going to recognize Him as God, and are we going to thank Him, then how are we going to thank Him? And that brings us into this week. This week, as we start to wrap this up, we're going to still talk about legacy, but the legacy we're talking about today is anticipation. And if you put a title on this, it's really a question. And I felt like this was what the Lord brought to me, at least through this message, and I hope you hear it this morning. I can get out of the way, and you can listen to the Lord and talk to Him. Really, the question is, where are you placing your hope? Or in who or in what do you place your hope? Anticipation. The word itself, I love this. I was looking for some examples. I like this one. Anticipation. One person said it's the electricity of of childhood. The definition, if you look it up, it's a noun. It's the action of anticipating something in expectation or prediction. I give an example. Her eyes were just lit up with anticipation. Still wasn't enough for me. I was looking for more. And one person said, anticipation, it's excitement. It's waiting eagerly for something you know is going to happen. If you've asked a woman to be your wife before, you waited with anticipation for a positive response. Okay, give me another example, Jim. I'll give you one more. Everybody knows Buddy the Elf, right? And if that's not the face of anticipation, Santa's coming, right? It's that time of year. Here we are. We're about, what, a week and a half from Christmas. We're anticipating. We're getting ready. For me, when I was growing up, Christmas was the biggest day of the year. I think most can probably relate to that. But for me, I'll go back and... Christmas is a big day. Your birthday was a pretty big day. And for me, it worked out real well. I know uh, we've got some grandchildren and, and, and I know people that their birthday is in December. And, and that's kind of like, okay, they kind of overlap with me. Mine were spaced out perfectly. I had Christmas in December, obviously. Birthdays in July. So I had this nice big window. Half the year I was looking forward to the birthday. The other half of the year I'm looking for Christmas. Because at least in my family, it wasn't like we never got anything else. But generally speaking... The only time you got a present was Christmas or birthday. So you were counting down the days. You were watching the calendar, so to speak. You were expecting something to come. And when Christmas was coming around, I don't know who can go here with me. I'm looking around the room. Anybody remember the Sears and Roebuck wish book, right? Okay, Clay's with me. He's like, yeah, okay, y'all know. I'm looking around. So what happened? We didn't have internet. I know some of you might be young enough to go, what? I don't know how that would work. No internet, no Walmart superstore. Your local department store started adding a few shelves, maybe taking some stuff off, and you were young enough to look around, and excitement, anticipation would start to build, and you'd break out the Sears and Robot wish book, start flipping through the toys, going, yeah, I want that one, I want that one, I want that one. Depending on your family, you might have got one, or you may have gotten more, but Christmas was a really big deal. You dreamed of something all year long that you hoped would be wrapped up and sitting under that tree on Christmas morning. I couldn't wait the Christmas morning. My family, my sister and I grew up together. She's three years older than me. And on Christmas, it was coming toward Christmas, and we would be begging our mom and dad, look, let us just open them now. And, and there generally was only maybe one thing, and then, you know, maybe some socks or something you weren't too excited about. But they seemed to always cave in when we were younger and let us open that gift on Christmas Eve. And then Christmas morning would come, and they're already open. We'd be already playing with them from the night before. But 
when my oldest children, Charles and Sandy, were growing up, we always, as I recall, it was kind of a Christmas Eve. We'd let them open one. We just couldn't stand it. We'd be like, come on, we open in one. There he is. He's like, he remembers. Christmas morning, we'd open the rest, and Brenda and I have been married 25 years, and she don't play that at all. It's like, ain't nothing open until Christmas morning. We're waiting, because that's how it's supposed to be done, so that's how we do it at our house. I started thinking on this, so I'm going to ask you a question and give you just a minute to think about it. When you think back in time, go back in time and think about what was the first gift, the first thing you really, really wanted that was actually under that tree, wrapped up, you opened it, and it was there. The thing you hoped for. Okay, I can tell you from me, it was old school G.I. Joe. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? I ain't talking about that little 8-inch thing they tried to sell for a few years. And I know they went back to this. I think they're on the shelf again, but I'm talking 1966, 67 or so, somewhere around there. I got my first and only old school G.I. Joe. I mean, check him out. Combat boots, authentic uniform of buttons. He's got a dog tag, guys. He's got a scar on his cheek. He's got posable action figure hands. This ain't no doll we're talking about. Posable action figure. His hands are moved. He can hold weapons in his hands. And I never had any of the accessories that went with it. I dreamed about them in the wish book. But uh, he could hold them. We'd just pretend and we had a great time with him. And uh, I asked one of the guys at work about this. And he took me back in time. And he said, hey, thing I, first thing I remember getting was the Hot Wheels carry case. Anybody know what I'm talking about? All right. All right, for you that don't know what we're talking about, Cotwell's carry case looked like a tire. It was about that big around, and it opened like a suitcase, and you could stick your little Hot Wheel cars in there if you were going authentic. You could put the matchboxes in there, too, but they weren't for real Hot Wheel cars. But, you know, okay, we didn't have electronics then. It wasn't all about what you could plug in, and it wasn't no Wi-Fi, so it was a little different. So now today, here, what are we doing today? Today, my family, it's right after Thanksgiving. For you who decorate before Thanksgiving, you know who you are. Okay, come on, now quit. It's like, let's do Thanksgiving, all right? Anyway, so right after Thanksgiving, as soon as the turkey's eaten, wham, the hammer drops, I'm in the attic, I'm taking out the tree, I'm taking out the boxes of decorations, the way we roll at our house. I set up the tree, I plug in the lights, I put another string on, and now it's up to Brenda. She decorates the tree, she decorates the inside. I'm outside with the lights. I'm stringing them up, running power cords. I'm putting some lights on the trees or on the eaves of the house or wherever I'm putting them this year. And we're trying to make it look right because we're anticipating and we're building excitement and we're getting ready for the biggest day, the one that brings all the fun and excitement. But as important as Christmas is and as much fun as it is, I wanna bring your focus to something else. First Peter. What Peter writes us a letter is about what we really have that what's really important. As much fun as Christmas is, and it is fun, what we have in Christ is better than anything else we have or anything else we're ever going to get. You remember the Apostle Peter? Guy with the big mouth? Guy who told Jesus what? He said, hey, I'll go to prison with you if I have to, but I'll never forsake you. I'll never deny you. He's the guy in the garden that night. He whacked off a dude's ear, pulled his sword, whack. I'm proving it. I'm meaning it. And then when Jesus needed him, it was the one time he needed him more than any other time, Peter's over there cursing him, swearing he doesn't even know him. But Jesus wasn't done with him. He was writing to the Jewish Christians in Asia Minor. They had fled from the area or they were being saved in that area, but he was writing them a letter of encouragement because they were going under persecution and they were having a very difficult time. And he writes that letter of encouragement to them and it's a letter of encouragement to us. 
He's writing it much older. When he came to a point in his life where he's matured and he's realized I can't count on myself because I've failed enough to know that I can't count on or depend on myself. I need somebody else to depend on. And Peter writes to us as he wrote to them and he wrote about a living hope. In 1 Peter chapter 1, that's most of the scripture we're going to look at this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1, he writes in verse 3 and he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You're gracious we could stop right there and just celebrate. That's an awesome mouthful. He's talking about a living hope. He ain't talking about dead, dry religion. He ain't talking about trying to be better. He ain't talking about coming to church so I can be a better person. He's talking about a living hope and a relationship with the living God. He offers us living hope. What is hope? Hope, hope. I could give you the definition. I'm going to give you a couple of scriptures to kind of get a picture of this, and you know these probably, but in Romans chapter 8, verse 24, Paul points out, he says that hope in this hope we are saved, and now hope that's seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? Look, if you can see it, you're not hoping for it, because if you see it, you've already got it. What you hope for is the things you haven't seen yet, that you're expecting, desiring, and wanting, you're anticipating. And hope can make you sick while you're waiting. Some of you are waiting on some things still, and it's made you sick. And Psalm, uh, or excuse me, Proverbs verse thir- chapter 13, verse 12 points it out and recognizes that. It said, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And it can. You've waited and you've waited and you've waited and you're just looking for it and anticipating it, wanting it, and you're sick to your stomach about it. So what I'm trying to point out this morning is don't give up while you're waiting because he also points out in that same scripture, he said, desire fulfilled is a tree of life. When you finally get it, when it finally comes, the thing you've been waiting for, you remember anticipating and waiting for it, but it's kind of hard if you, if you know what I'm talking about to go back and remember what the sense of urgency was while you were waiting on it. There's a hope that waits and waits without receiving that creates heart sickness, but there's also a hope that has the capacity to hang on until you finally see it. But I also recognize, and especially this time of year, there is a, there is a, a capacity within us to give up hope. There's a, there's a capacity within us to reach from hope into hopelessness. And when we get into hopelessness, there's really no reason to get up in the morning. You get to the point where you're like, it's like it is, this is how it is, and it's not ever going to get any better, so what's the point? And Paul is writing, or Peter in this case, is writing this letter to a group of people that have every reason in the world to feel this way, and he's encouraging them not to give in to this but to stand firm and to stand tall, tall while they're waiting. When you're a person filled with hope, you get up in the morning and you're like, this is the day, and this is the day it's going to happen, and I'm going to receive what I'm waiting on. You're standing on the promises of God no matter what you see, and you're just waiting to receive it. You're looking forward to something. Look, hope, hope is the thing that makes life fun. If you ever receive something... And while you're waiting for it, it's just so much fun and it's so exciting while you're waiting on it. Then when you get it, it's like, hmm, okay. It wasn't that big a deal. But it's the thing that makes it fun. And what Peter's talking about is not dead, dry religion. What he's talking about is a relationship with the living God. And he's a relationship with the living God because our Savior is risen. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. We're born again to this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, I'll just remind you what it means to be born again. Born again, the first passage that comes to mind is probably the first one you think of is John 3.3. 3. John 3.3, 3, Jesus confronts a guy named Nicodemus and he's talking about our relationship with God. Nicodemus had every reason to feel justified because Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was part of the ruling party of the people, the Sanhedrin, and he could have or should have felt justified, but he comes to Jesus and Jesus tells him, you got to be born again. John 3, 3 says, Jesus answered him and said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is talking about being begotten from above. We ain't talking about a natural birth. We're talking about a spiritual birth. And everybody in the room may know exactly what I'm talking about, but there may be somebody here who doesn't know what I'm talking about. Or there may be somebody watching online who doesn't know what I'm talking about. And this is the greatest hope of all. This far exceeds any gift or anything we're anticipating or looking forward to. It's the greatest gift ever given. And for some people, they're like Nicodemus. Their response is the same thing he said. How, how does that work? How can I be born again? I've already been born. How can these things be? Nicodemus didn't understand, although he should have at least had the anticipation of this, although maybe he didn't understand how it would work out. In Jeremiah chapter 31, I believe it is, the, the prophet talked about years before and said, look, there's a day coming when God's going to write His Word on your heart. He's going to forgive your sin, and He's not going to remember it anymore. So Nicodemus should have been looking for that. He probably was looking for that, but he didn't understand how it was going to happen. He, Jesus rocked Nicodemus's world. I will tell you this, I'm not trying to dog Nicodemus, and I hope you get it when you read this. Nicodemus was a pretty good guy because even though he was a Pharisee and he felt justified because he was keeping tradition, he was keeping the law, if anybody should have been accepted to God, their people's mindset then was it would be a Pharisee. But Jesus said, that's not good enough. Jesus said, being a good person is not good enough. It's, you have to be born again. You've got to come into a relationship with him. You can't just come to church and be a good person. You've got to know him. Nicodemus in John 7, verse 50, he's the guy who defended Jesus. He's one of the few Pharisees that stepped up and, and defended him when he was arrested. He also, in John 19, verse 39 to 42, was the guy who came with Joseph of Arimathea and asked with Pilate, to Pilate for Jesus' body. He's also, it said, brought 75 pounds of spices to embalm Jesus' body. He said, Nicodemus, he's a good guy. Nicodemus wants to know the truth. He didn't quite understand it yet. He doesn't understand how it's going to happen, doesn't understand what it's going to look like when it occurs, but he wants it and he wants to serve God. Let's be clear. What we're talking about is not just going to church and being a better person. John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, gives us the greatest hope of all and tells us how this works and how this fits. If we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're not talking about dead, dry religion. We're not just talking about going to church because that's what we do. We're talking about a relationship with the living God. The gospel of Jesus Christ is incredibly simple. We cannot... And we're incapable of helping ourselves and lifting ourselves out of the pit of sin. 
And it's incredibly simple and easy to understand. The hard part is accepting it because it's so easy and it's so childlike to understand. But he doesn't, inter he doesn't invite us to follow an institution. He invites us to know him. And he wants to know us. And he wants to be in relationship with us. And you might be like Nicodemus. You might be sitting back going, okay, I hear it, but how can these things be? I can't see Him. But you can know Him. And He wants to be in that relationship with you. In 1 Peter chapter 1, as he continues in verse 4, he talks to us about the inheritance that we have, what we have in Christ, and he points out that this inheritance to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, it's kept in heaven for you. That's, that's worth shouting about. This inheritance we have, it's a concrete possession. It, it's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. In other words, it can't be decayed, it can't be soiled, it is perpetual, and it doesn't fade. It doesn't grow old. You don't get over it. You don't come to a point where you look back at it and it's old and it's no longer exciting. I'll give you a story. Not Toy Story, but he's a character in my story. So Tuesday we had a birthday party for one of our grandchildren and we got together over in Rinkin. We had Bruton and we had Ethan and we had Ella. Some of you know some of them. Uh, and Bruton's birthday was Tuesday. It was three-year-old birthday. And we met with them at a restaurant and then Dawn came with Ethan and Ellen, and they came in, and here come Ethan, our other grandson at that same age. Here's the thing you got to see. Okay, so Bruton's three years old on Tuesday. Well, Ethan will be four years old. February? Okay, I got the nod. I'm right. The wife always knows, okay? If you're resisting, you can give in. They know, so go ahead and ask. So I got a three-year-old grandson at the table. I got a three-year-old grandson at the table that are cousins, and he comes and sits down right next to him. And if you've got a family like this, you know what happens. They're just like six inches away. They're giggling and laughing. Nobody's even said anything. They just love being together. They're just, wow, here's somebody else that's like me. They get it. Well, Ethan comes in. He's carrying his prized possession. He's got a Woody. Got him in his arm. He's still got the plastic cowboy hat. As he walks in the door, I can still see him. He came in. He's beaming with excitement. He pulls the little cowboy hat off and, and waves it and goes, yeehaw, cowboy. Woohoo! And he's clutching him in his arm. He loves this thing. Until we open the gifts. When Bruton opened his first gift, up, he opened the gift up. And guess what was inside? Brand new. Woody. Just like... The one Ethan, uh, Ethan had, but it wasn't faded. His little vest wasn't faded. He still had, now he's got the kerchief, and I realized the other one didn't have it. Bruton was so excited. You ever seen a three-year-old open a gift of something he really wanted? He's bouncing up and down with excitement, and I looked over at Ethan, and Ethan just takes his and flings it on the floor. Oh, the whole room, yeah. His prized possession wasn't so special anymore. Because now somebody had one that was brand new. And he's right there in his presence. In fact, the whole time we were there, Ethan never would take his, his Woody back in his hands. He just kept looking at him with, well, he ain't, he's nothing anymore. Your prized possession is never going to fade away. 
Nobody else's inheritance is ever going to outshine yours. Yours doesn't fade, mine doesn't fade, and what we have in Jesus doesn't grow old and doesn't decay. I want to bring to your attention who it is that's guarding your salvation. According to the Scripture, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, it's by God's power. It's not anything I do other than the coming of the faith and believing it. Peter says it's who by God's power, speaking of us, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. It's God's power. It's God's power that brought me to faith in Christ, and it's God's power that keeps me till the day I go and be with Him in eternity. It's not about being a better person. It's God's power working in your life. Peter didn't understand that at the time that Jesus was on the earth and he denied Him. He learned that as he matured and he grew in his relationship with God as, as he came to the place that he fully understood. It doesn't depend on me. He depended on himself until he failed. Some of us have to come to a place where we fail and then we can rest in what he's already done. After he had failed, he came to the place he could trust God. And he writes this letter later on in years after he'd come to a maturity in Christ. It's what I'm talking about is it's not up to me being good. I do have to act in faith, but my place in Christ is absolutely secure. It's my possession and it'll never fade away and I can't lose it. It's something I have through him, but I can't earn it either. If you try to earn it, all you're going to do is be frustrated because you can't. It's a finished work. God's guarding it, and all I offer is to believe Him. Peter's writing to them to encourage a group of people that are under persecution. He's writing to them to serve God with their whole heart and allow Him to prove His work in them. When we go through the things in life, all it does is make our faith stronger. All it does is make our faith more pure. What we've been given far exceeds anything you ever receive in this life, and as much fun as Christmas is, it never lives up to the hype. And then when it's over, I'm just putting the things away again, getting ready to go back to work. Look, what do we call it? I don't have the words for it. What do you call it when you really want something, you just got to have it, you're anticipating it, looking for it, and you finally get it, and then what happens? I'll give an example. I, I, some of you know, I drove, I drove a 1997 Accord for, I don't know, maybe about 10 years, maybe longer. It seemed like forever. And I was satisfied with it. We came to a place where it was time for me to get another car. And I just thought, hey, why not? I'm going to have fun. It started as a joke first, but then I finally just caved in and did it. And I bought a 2011 Camaro with a V8 and a six-speed, and it made fun, driving fun again. But I'm using this example to tell you this. Look, I drove it for a few weeks, and I'd get in my car. I never was worshiping the car, but I'd get in, and it was just fun. It was exciting. And I'd go to work, and it was fun. I'd come home, and it was fun. And I could tell you one day I was sitting on the overpass over an I-16 coming off Dean Forest Road waiting for the light to turn green, and I felt it fade. And it left. And the excitement was gone. And I went, all right. It's not there anymore. It's still fun to car to drive, but that excitement was gone. And some of us experience that in life, and we go chasing it, looking for it from something else. Some people find it in relationship. They run from relationship to relationship, from bed to bed. Some people run from marriage to marriage. Some people are always chasing a feeling that's never going to satisfy, and it's never going to last. That excitement in this life comes and goes. 
what we're really made for, whether you recognize it or not, whether you see it today, is what we're really made for and what we really want is the presence of the living God. That's what we want. It's the presence of the living God that we were created for, and it's the presence of the living God that completes us. That's what we really want. That's what we really anticipate. That's what he welcomes us to enter into. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, he says this. He said, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while. If necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, although it's been tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. All of us face struggles. Every one of us go through difficult things. Brenda shared this with me last night, and I didn't get the full story, but it just wouldn't leave my thoughts. Just as I, before we went to sleep, she was sitting there on the bed looking at something and looking through some stories, and she read one out loud briefly, and it was somebody going, anybody need a grandmother? I don't have a family. And the person was saying she didn't have a family, she didn't have anybody to spend life with, and she was looking for somebody who needed a grandmother. She said, hey, I'll bring food. I'll even bring gifts if I need to, but I'll come and be a grandmother. I know at this time of life, this time of the year, there are people that are not anticipating Christmas. They're not looking forward to it. Maybe they don't even have a tree up. They don't have anybody to spend their life with, their time with. I know that does happen. But you can ask questions you we all do. We all ask sometimes, why does God even allow the difficulties in life? Why does He let us go through these things anyway? What's the point? What's the purpose? Well, the Scripture gives us a little bit of a look into it from what we just read. The trials we go through work like heat when it's applied to gold. It brings the impurities to the surface and we can skim those away because God brings it to the surface so He can show it to me. Let me see it because He already knew it was there and He wants to get rid of it. What it does is it purifies us. As we go through the fire and we stay in our faith and we keep clinging to Him, it purifies us. And what ends up happening from that, if you looked at the Scripture we just read, it brings our faith to the place where it brings more glory to God. It becomes a worthy possession, <clears throat> something we can present to the Lord at His appearing, and it actually brings glory <clears throat> and it brings honor to Him, which is what it really is all about anyway. In verse 8 and 9, as he continues, he says, Though you have not seen him, you'll love him. Though you do not see him now, or do not now see him, you believe in him, and you rejoice with a joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You love him. If you know him, you love him. And it blows the mind of the unbeliever because they ask the question, how can he love somebody he can't even see? But you know him, you love him, and you're in love with him because you sense him and you're aware of him. And he never leaves you, he never forsakes you, he goes with you everywhere you go. And you believe in him. Again, you can't see him, so how do you believe in him? It's not about an argument that you're going to win with somebody. It's about something you know. And it's down inside and you know that He's real. And you know that He's with you. And you know you're in relationship with Him even though you can't see Him. And what it results in is joy. 
It results in a joy, according to that scripture, that cannot be expressed. I can't explain it. I don't know how to explain this joy. I know it because I have it, and I've experienced it. And the first time I've experienced it, I didn't even know what to call it. I was driving down 516, coming up toward uh, the overpass off 16, following of an ambulance to Memorial Hospital, and somebody was in there that I cared deeply about, and I had a joy on the inside that I couldn't express. I didn't know to call it joy. I just knew that I had a strength in me that I never possessed before because I had been in Christ a few months now. And I was riding along going, I really should be upset and panicking and pinging, as I called it back then, but I wasn't. There was a strength in me I didn't know I had. And I didn't have it a few months before. And then years later when I buried my mother, and then years later when I buried my dad, I found a strength that's been with me through the greatest difficulties and the greatest heartaches in my life that I don't know how to express, and I don't know how to show it to you. All I know is I've got it, and I hope you got it as well, because we get it from the same place. We can't escape going through difficulty, but joy provides that strength. Look, here it is. Happiness comes and goes. With the events of life, one day you're happy, and before that day's over, maybe you're not, but joy is constant and carries you through the events of life. It's always present. It's with you in the face of your greatest disappointments, and that joy continues. So what in the world do we do? If you're a believer, if you know Christ as your Savior, if you know what I'm talking about this morning, what do you do while you're waiting? Peter makes it very practical. Verse 13 of the same chapter, he tells us what to do while we're waiting. First Peter chapter 1, verse 13, he says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to get ready for action. Look, being a Christian is not a lazy thing. It's not sitting on the couch waiting to see what's going to happen tomorrow or waiting until Jesus comes back. We're invited. We are compelled to get involved. We are compelled to get involved in the battle, get involved in the work, get on the field and be a part of the game. As one person said, don't just read the story, be a part of the story. Get in the story. It's up to me to get involved. It's up to me to find a place. It's up to me to participate and what He's doing in this world today. And He lets us do that. And then we're to set our hope. We're to set our hope on what's really important. And I want to ask you again, the name of this message, where have you placed your hope? What is it that you place your hope in? What is it you're focused on for the future? What is it you're focused on for today? The only one I should really place my hope in is Jesus the Christ. He's the one I can trust. He's the one that will carry me. He's the one that's going to be with me. I feel like Peter. I've failed many times in my life. But if you're born again, you've been washed in the blood of Christ, you can choose to set your mind on things above. You can work with Him and prepare your mind for action. And last week we talked about this. We talked about God's still working. He's working. He's working in the midst of the, the worst day that you face that seems like your worst challenge or the greatest defeat you've ever experienced. He's working in the background. I just don't always see him, and usually I don't. And this week, what we're talking about is a new life. We're talking about the hope we have and where it's at and where to place it, and I hope you hear what the Spirit of God is saying to you this morning. I hope I can get out of the way and you can see him. Because if I can get out of the way and you can see him, you'll love him. If you're setting your hope on the things of this world, 
You're always going to be disappointed because you're only going to find temporary fulfillment in those things. The things will fade, the things will decay, the things sometimes you'll lose, they stop working or they're just no longer exciting and now they're a burden. But if you set your hope in Jesus, you find a joy that can never be stolen, that never fades away, and you can never lose. I'm gonna leave you with the last scripture. I don't know who said this, and I'll give you that scripture, but I like this. We were created for eternal things. And the reason you were created for eternal things, that's why the temporary things of this world can't satisfy you, except temporarily. If that's what you're counting on, then you can find some sense of fulfillment, but it won't last. Some things longer than others, but it'll all fade eventually. But Paul told us this in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. It's the last passage I'll give you. He speaks, he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Our hope is not in what we receive in this life. It can be fun, it can be exciting, it can be enjoyable. Have fun, enjoy Christmas. I like Christmas, I love Christmas, it's a load of fun. But it's not gonna be the thing that fulfills me. It's not the thing that's gonna keep me. There's something greater that each one of us need. And again, I'm gonna ask you, where is it that you've placed your hope? What are you hoping for and what has captured your heart and what is it that you're looking to to fulfill you? And ultimately, really, do you know Him? Do you know Him? If you, if you know Him, you love Him. If you don't know Him, this message is, is reaching out to you, whether you're in the room or you're online. And we'll give you an opportunity this morning as we all stand. It's, we're not going to close the service unless we ask. The best question and the greatest question of all is, do you know Him? We ask if anybody here doesn't know Him, this is an opportunity for you to ask and open your heart and allow the Spirit of God to complete the work He's been working in you all the way up to now. We just ask if there's anybody here, you can close your eyes, bow your head, however you want to do it, but I just ask this question this morning. Is there anybody here who doesn't know Christ as their Savior who wants this morning to just say, Jesus, that's me. I know there's something in my life that's missing. I know there's something in my life that needs to be completed. And this morning, this morning's the day. This is the day I'm going to raise my hand and I'm going to say, that's me. Jesus, see me. Maybe you're struggling with the season, the time of the year, and you've lost hope and you need a sense of hope and urgency again in your life. I just pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, we praise you this morning and I ask you, Lord, as we go into this Christmas season, these last few days, help us, Lord, to focus on that which is truly important. The Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us, but he didn't just die, he was rose from the dead. And he ever lives and we're going to come and be with you one day. But while we're here, Lord, help us to be effective. Help us to change our world. Help us to be a light in a dark place and carry you with us everywhere we go. And I pray, Lord, for the person here this morning who's struggling. Pray, Lord, for the person here who needs you the most. Pray, Lord, for the person maybe who's looking online and hears maybe a word of hope and they're ready to open their heart to you. We just pray, Lord, each person would respond in faith to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us online. We hope you are impacted by the Word of God you heard today. We consider resources like this to be supplemental and not a replacement for community. So if you don't have a home church, we'd love to invite you to check out City Church, but most importantly, find a church where you can be engaged in community. 
We want to help you navigate your next steps if you made a decision for Christ today or simply need prayer. If you want more information about our church, visit us online at citychurch.life. If you didn't get a chance to give online during service and would like to contribute financially, you can go to citychurch.life forward slash give. We look forward to hearing from you and seeing you at church.